they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Hello, Jody Raceford. Hello, David Hellard. How are we? This we are good. We, well, I mean, we we're obviously going to be. We we need to address the fact that we're going into lockdown again. Maybe not ever in the world. Lockdown, the sequel. Yeah, because of that, we've got. We've decided we're going to give an inter- an episode which gives in it takes away. So our guest is one of the best guests we've ever had. He's done over, well, he's done 50, 100 miles in one year. Walter Handler, he's so good to talk to, so interesting to hear his views on the differences between all the different 100 miles he's done and just how he's bloody done that. So we thought, what better way when you're locked down and um, you know, there's nothing else to do than tell you about someone running miles and miles and miles. But what else do we think the journey would be good to do? What else would it be good to do? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what else? Well, we just talked about what we're going to do. What we're going to do on this episode. Netflix recommendations. Uh, the great thing is that lockdown is giving us the opportunity to come together and watch so many good shows now. Well, <laughs> come together is the wrong word there. <laughs> well, stay apart. Stay, stay apart. apart. <laughs> yeah, but... I've been amazed in that I've actually seen some shows on the BBC that I thought were really good. And no way. Yeah, that really blew my mind. And another one I think is even on Channel 4, but they were, they were international shows where they clearly just branded it with the BBC at the beginning as Storyville. So I'm pretty sure people all around the world will hopefully be able to find these documentaries either on Netflix or you know, download somewhere. Have you, for starters, have you seen The Mole? <laughs> I don't know what that means. No. Oh, it is. Wait a minute. So... Are we still talking about Netflix or are we talking about <laughs> Yeah. I'm just going to bend over. <laughs> so this is turning into one of those uh, Zoom consultations with a doctor. I don't want to I don't want to see the mole. The fact that you call it the mole as well. No, what's the mole? Uh, well, the... It's a documentary. Please tell me. Please tell me. It's not some like Scandi drama thing about a, a mole in an organization. And please tell me it's some surrealist thing on Amazon Prime about a mole that wanders around and no one, no one actually acknowledges he's a mole and that everyone thinks it's perfectly normal. Please tell me that that's the premise for it. I mean, I can tell you it, but it, it's certainly going to be a lie. No, it, it is Scandi. Oh, fucking hell. It always but, is. But it's not a drama. This is a documentary. And this is one of those stories when you think, wow, how is this is impressive. And the fact I've never heard any of this is amazes me. So for the last nine years. Someone has been going undercover in North Korea. Oh, really? Scandinavian. Just this Danish blend in really well. <laughs> but there's this thing, there's an organization that is along the lines of Friends of North Korea. Right. Where to try and get credibility, they have all these people around the world who go and visit North Korea and act as 
mediators and mouthpieces to the the rest oh, of the world. Okay, yeah, yeah. And and these t these people tend to be sympathetic losers who love the adulation and like to so they'll, they'll be given all these medals and they'll parade around in their medals they'll go to north korea and be treated as if they're genuine heroes when all they've done is throwing their morals uh, out the window how, so, how is how is someone treated like royalty in north korea I, I i'm absolutely astonished to find you know how 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 that manifests itself there you're i mean maybe not maybe not the head royal but certainly a prince. You'll go in, you'll be awarded uh, medals. You'll have screaming people wherever you go. You'll take on these tours to teach, talk to classes and everything like that. And so this guy goes undercover and manages to get his way. But pretty much the second in command. So he sees King Jong-il. He then finds out He sees that King Jong-il, who's been King's dead for... for... He, <laughs> that's, how, that's how long he's been he in. Is. That's how long he's been in. King, was it King Jong Un? He's the latest guy. Ill to the end. And but also he then un, uncovers the fact that the the head of this organisation, who's Spanish, starts doing all of these deals to once sanctions are put on North Korea, he under he uncovers that there are these deals to sell weapons and to boycott sanctions and to get oil in there. And this, it's, in, it's amazing. This guy for nine years does it without his wife knowing. And without his wife knowing? Yeah, yeah, because... What does she think he does? I'm not really sure. But not that. And If, it, if his wife doesn't know, she's got to be a mole for something else. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you've for Sudan or somewhere. You've seen True Lies, haven't you? This is, this is <laughs> yeah. almost exactly the same <laughs> premise. But he then finds, he needs to go undercover and to expose how the networks of these deals work. He then finds this guy who happens to be a buddy that used to be in the Foreign Legion and then became a, a dot-com millionaire who's also a mega badass he then pretends he's a businessman who's going to trade millions by building this weapons factory in Zimbabwe. So they go out to Zimbabwe to, to I mean, it, it, this, the whole documentary is amazing. It's, it, it's quite slow. It's quite low budget. But what they actually uncover and achieve is incredible. That's amazing. So that's the first one. Second one. Have you seen, and I'll probably get the name wrong, The Two Escobars? No. Wow. This one ups it. Now, you obviously know about Pablo Escobar. Yep. Do you remember in the, the World Cup in America that there was also a defender who was uh, called Escobar who sadly got killed? Yes, when they got knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. So this documentary looks at their parallel lives that are intertwined. And it's one of those stories that makes complete sense if we'd have actually thought about what was happening in um, Colombia at that time. But in the, remember how exciting football was when suddenly all the oligarchs came into the premiership and Abramovich was putting all this money into Chelsea and you had all these all this cash coming into these teams. Now imagine that 
in Colombia with Escobar into his local team where they're corrupt as hell. So, you know, if a referee doesn't give a goal your way, hmm, that's not a good position to be if you're that referee. And they're happy to, uh, to let you know there's fights on the field. But then also there are other cartels who have their own football teams as well. And so you had this incredible story where this, this amazing defender, Escobar, but also it's the rise of the Colombian football team, the rise of the cartel. And it's just insane how much money they spent on it and how well they did. But also that this was all going on and none of us really thought about it. It's really funny because when that happened, well, it wasn't really funny. When it happened, um, they, I remember the, the way that they announced it because there was, I can't remember who else. I think it might have been for the Argentinian team. Someone missed a penalty and they killed his dog or something like that. Um, it, was but the, yeah. it was the brother of the coach of Colombia. Oh, right. Okay. And so, yeah. but when it happened, like everyone sort of went, oh, Col- South American teams. Oh, just like, yeah. as, though, as though it's something that's completely normal. And, and it's just so incredibly shocking. Yeah. yeah. And you, it's such a sad story as well just for everyone involved but they they he used to have a football pitch in his backyard like a full-size one and he'd make like rod stewart and they'd play fantasy league football him him and his friend in the the mexican cartel where they'd fly in whoever they wanted from around the world into their team and they play each other for huge stakes insane insane such a good documentary that's amazing that's amazing well i've got a documentary recommendation yeah it's <laughs> well it's kind of like a documentary have you seen the new borat movie i have indeed oh <laughs> my god surely everyone has by now oh my god i didn't think i I, I watched the old Borat movie before watching it, and I was thinking, I'm just going to like remind myself. I used to absolutely love Borat when he was on whatever. Mm. Was it was it called the Eleven O'clock Show or the One yeah. O'clock Show or something 11 like that? Show. On those, yeah, yeah. that was that was like the pinnacle pinnacle of Borat, and the Borat movie was good. And I watched it again, and I thought, God, this actually this this is pretty shocking. Like even now, even after it is pretty shocking, and I didn't think he'd be able to up it, but. <laughs> It's just it. It took it to a whole whole different level, and I just I know people said oh it's absolutely rubbish and things like that. I thought I thought it was really good, and Libby basically watched it with me with her hands over her face. <laughs> just it, and she goes, I just don't know how I feel about this because yeah. there are elements that are brilliant, like the whole you know exposing um, uh, attitudes to women is the big yeah. thing in this one, isn't it? And you know, her, I can't remember what the name of his daughter is, Tata or something, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's right. And uh, her going to that female empowerment um, seminar um, for the Republicans and talking about masturbating, female masturbation. And they're like, we don't talk about that here at a female empowerment thing. It's just it, it just shows up like the hypocrisy of it is brilliant. But my favourite moment is when he walks into the synagogue, um, which... And I just, I, I, I couldn't breathe when I, when I saw that. And I don't want to ruin it for people if you're going to watch it. But I, it's just to have the, the utter balls to do what he does yeah, is insane. Yeah. It, I just, I thought it was great. What did you think of it? 
I I loved the concept that because he was too famous, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to have to act as Borat, acting as someone else. And uh, that just that that next kind of meta level, I thought was was brilliant. And the have you seen the footage that they released afterwards where he was at a a, a festival slash rally, yeah. um, and the actual story that he told on Colbert, I think Stephen Colbert, was someone at Black Lives Matter had sent some people into this rally to get a sense of whether it was a good one to p- petition. Yeah. Because they don't just turn up at any rally, you know, because you, it would be quite dangerous to go to the wrong the wrong rally and, and start um, challenging them. And they recognised Borat. And because of that, word then got round that it was Borat and suddenly he gets chased off stage and they have to like hide in their trailer and uh, you can hear them shaking the trailer and they eventually get out. And it's just amazing when you think, if you think the, the context in which he's doing all of this, where people have been run over, you know, people have been killed because of their political views. Yeah. And he is essentially mocking them openly and a huge risk to himself, given how famous he now is. Yeah, but I, yeah, I just thought it was amazing. And um, I, I don't know if it's actually going to make much of a difference to anyone. But well, no, it's yeah. not. It's not at all, is it? That's the that's the yeah. thing. It's really funny. Like this time round, um, a lot of I've got a lot of um, uh, right wing um americans uh who i'm uh, uh friends with as in sort mm. of, you know because that's the, the the sort of the copywriting u.s copywriting scene they all seem to be gun toting um republican supporting mm. um you know in terms of that that way being inclined and you know and they all loved the previous one and then this one they go oh it's just it, it, this one is is absolute garbage it's too political you're like have you have you never watched Borat before? <laughs> it's it's all political. It's just I think this one re I mean this one kind of like doubles down. But I thought the interesting thing about it was the some of the genuine relationships in that. Like he goes and mm. stays with those two <laughs> those two guys. And it, of course, you know, exposes that he has these uh you know, that they've got these crazy views. But actually there was something quite tender but in, yeah. the, in the friendship with wasn't there they, I thought they, they came across really lovely people yeah just, so all they yeah. were they were just they were they all that it had was that their views were different that that really yeah. was it and he, you know he, they they genuinely tried to help him find his daughter and when he got up on the stage their little faces they looked so pleased for him didn't they, they were kind <laughs> of like going oh yeah we're with him we're with him kind of, that, that kind of thing it was it was quite and did you i don't know if you saw that the um, there's a um uh, a, a grandmother in there who goes um uh, i think am i getting her name right tata um uh, stays with uh, his daughter in that stays with her oh the babysitter yeah <laughs> yeah she's like the babysitter and um, and she, you know, of course, she, she just, she, this was set up, you know, knowing that she was going to take part in the documentary, she was going to have to babysit and stuff like that. And she's the real star of the whole, the whole, the whole thing because she gives some amazing advice about, you know, uh, to, to, to his daughter and stuff like that, and it works really well. But do you see that um, subsequently, the the church that she belonged to um, did a, a fundraiser for her and raised one hundred and ten thousand dollars for her. Wow! Um, to do that, and then Sasha Baron Cohen gave a hundred thousand dollars to that church as well, as a oh, as, as a result of that. That's very cool. That yeah. is very cool. Now, um, I've also got 
a ice I, I i thought i shouldn't do it and then oh. i thought no let's do it i'll watch Brittany runs a marathon oh god did you yeah oh, i thought what's it what's it like it to me that like that that doesn't look funny or anything i know it's one of those things where like i this, this should appeal to me but i i don't know is it going to be awful what was it like i really liked it i thought yeah so it's actually written about uh, the director writer wrote about a friend of his who decided they were going to run a marathon to lose weight and my only gripe with this film is that it starts off with Brittany, who is crazy fun but deep down has issues with her weight and it gives you throughout the film a choice you either have crazy fun or you're a boring runner and it's it's, it's that clean cut you can't go out on a friday night because you've got to run on a saturday morning and it, they, it, that's always the choice that she has to make so that's my only gripe about it is that it implies that you can't have it all and you can you absolutely can but i thought it was really really nice in the it's way American. Yeah, it's American, and it's... What bit of America? I assume she's... Ba- I can't remember. She's either based in Boston or New York or right. somewhere. You know, I think New York, decent-sized city, or Philadelphia. And But it's, I just thought it was really interesting because for an almost rom-com-style movie, it's actually quite... Um, there aren't many films that talk about people's relationship with their weight and also about how they treat other people because of how they feel about themselves and bizarrely for a film that is very light it it actually is is very it's got some very poignant moments and also i think says more it's a bigger statement about a lot of people probably in our community but just in 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 the world in general about how we have a relationship with food how we have a relationship with others how we have and and so actually i thought it was really really good for a film that i thought was just going to be a really naive experience of someone who's running a marathon it's not i I always think any film based on the premise of running is going to be awful Mm. it's going to be awful i mean i you know i think like unless it's something like chariots of fire um, in which case, you know, there is there is that dramatic element about it. Like anything based around a run, God, like what? You know, really, that is not is not the basis for a, for a film. Um, mm. It's barely the basis for a book. And we're talking to you, Mark Atkinson, there. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's and so yeah, that's that's surprising. I've, you know what? I've never watched Run Fat Boy Run. Have you watched that? I, I think I have. Uh, a long, probably twelve years ago, but that was that's the that's yeah everything you you don't want in a running movie, right? Yeah, oh, especially yeah. given that it's got such a good cast. Do you think why Simon Pegg have you done this? <laughs> um, ka-ching, ka-ching. But do you ever watch that? The, what I what, what I like about sometimes watching documentaries is we have this relationship with American culture where a lot of my experience or idea of american culture 
is based on one thing I've seen, and I don't really need, really know why. Um, so, have you seen the TV show Masterminds on Netflix? Mastermind. No. Masterminds. It's it's a bit hit and miss, but it has the the central story is a different person who's a criminal mastermind of some sort. Um, and some of them are brilliant. So there's there's one uh, doctor who is a seismologist or similar, and he fakes finding the biggest um, mine, the the biggest area of gold ever discovered. Completely fakes it all. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, it has a sad ending, but incredible. But a lot of the time when I see films or, or television shows, cartoons, there's always a guy going, I must be crazy. I'm selling things so cheap. I must be mad. I must be. And I've never really known why. You can buy why. that for a dollar. You got that from Short Circuit. And, but it's also in, it, it seems to be in so many different American films, TV shows. And I've never tr truly understood why. Have you heard of Crazy Eddie? No, I haven't heard of Crazy Eddie. So he is one of the masterminds. I think it's the last episode, and I loved it. Here's a guy who, and, and, and basically all of these people in masterminds are the wrong side of do batters. Is uh, as I'd like to put it. They, you oh, know, they, <laughs> that, how they, they all subvert the system, but a little bit immorally. Um, so Crazy Eddie had a a string of electronic stores where he did all these adverts like I must be crazy you can't if you beat Eddie anywhere I'll give you double the money back or something along those lines and he was just doing all these scams so one of the scams was whenever he took cash for sales he wouldn't put it on the books so he wouldn't pay tax probably fairly common scam but he'd also then um, fix old items and sell them as new but he then came up with this idea that he wanted to make a killing on the stock market. And so they floated the company on the stock market. And when the auditors came round to actually get a sense of how much stock they had, which therefore determined how profitable they were, they'd bring the auditor into their storeroom where they'd have all these boxes and boxes and boxes of TV and equipment and they'd help them do the count and they'd say they'd climb up like how many have you got and they're like oh it's six up nine across eight deep but actually it was just hollow boxes with nothing behind them and they'd then move all these boxes to the next place that they were going to to do the audit and whenever the auditor had turned their back they changed their their ones to a four or to a seven They'd written them down. And so suddenly, Crazy Eddie had floated and the company was worth absolutely millions. But it wasn't until... The, yeah, and it wasn't until it was eventually sold that they suddenly realized what was going on. And so, yeah, the, the Masterminds is lots of stories like that, which are all... They're, they're almost perfect in that you have so much admiration for these people... But they're all crooks. What I love, what I love about this thing is, I it, there's something about the criminals uh, that, that do stuff like that. Normally, if it's like white collar crime and, and mm. stuff like that, 
and they're, they're scamming something, scamming some out the government or whatever, whatever there is. You know, it, it, it's immoral. But sometimes you think, oh, some of the stuff you've done is brilliant. It's just, you know, imagine if you could train that for good. That's the thing, isn't mm. it? You should imagine if you had this, you know, people who made that decision that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, do this for sort of financial gain, and and the craftiness of it is incredible as well. The stuff that they can come up with is just is just insane. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have very good uh, Netflix recommendations compared to yours. If I'm well, I've, I've caught up on Cobra Kai that you recommended. Oh yeah. That was great. It's great, isn't it? Although, how many bloody fences does that guy have to paint? <laughs> He's got like twenty miles worth of fences. It's great, isn't it? And it's gonna and it's gonna be. It's. I just. I love what they've done with it. I love that they they didn't go um oh self aware and ridiculous. And actually, they continued a story, and they made it you know nostalgic but still interesting enough. And they've added like more color to their stories and kind of change the perception of what you thought about them from the first first movies um and they've managed to get so much so many of the cast back together and i think there's a talk you know talk about like a um you know even getting more more cast members back and everything um, yeah but yeah i just, just it's just i it just that is a, a real model of how to of how to build a new audience and how to do something something clever with it rather than rather than just go oh let's reboot the karate kid um which is you know what they did with jackie chan doing kung fu which was a bit weird um <laughs> i love yeah. i love the scene where they they stand on a cake they have to stand on one leg and chug beers and whoever <laughs> falls off first loses thought <laughs> we could <laughs> is that martial arts now we can totally do martial arts maybe that's what we should do the thing is we, yeah we've got we've got the running club and the running club the running club's got got a bit serious now like they're doing intervals and stuff like that and, and things like that i do feel that bbr on its own probably needs something that's a lot less committal that you know some kind of you know if we're going to properly embrace the cult i think we start looking to martial arts i think belts belts or headbands or something like that to you know to, to so you can master a particular level that you're at with various tasks like that 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 decide whether you whether you have that i think i think that kind of grading system's good but um yeah i don't i don't have very good netflix recommendations um uh, what i really really enjoyed is i don't know if you've seen it is a a series called high score which is about it's basically a history of games like how they develop you know talking about the battle between uh, nintendo and sony how they um, like how they basically developed like the first like set of computers and stuff like that, which sounds like incredibly boring, but it's really really good. It they've 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 pitched the right things together. They've um, they interview all the right people, and you know they talk about like, how how Pac-Man was ca- ca- how they came up with Pac-Man. It's basically the guys who were trying to come up with this character went for a pizza um, together. They sat down, they took a slice of pizza off the tray, and they went. There's the shape. And you're like, what? That's how you came up with Pac-Man? Do you think that's true? Or do you think that's what they now say is how they came up I, with Pac-Man? I would, I, would absolutely, I would absolutely say that was true. Because the, the thing is, the way that they talk about how they develop stuff, like, you know, I think Japanese, like, designers and stuff for this, they're much more spiritual. They, they, they really do, like, this embrace. They have all this, like, this uh, real technical knowledge and real technical insight. But when it comes to actually developing 
the like the characters and the concepts around it you see like the, it's almost poetic in terms of and really philosophical as to, mm. to what they want to do it's funny because you know they come up with all these things about you know uh, uh drawing on um spirits and 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 you know all this like beautiful imagery that they're thinking of and then they've got to put it into like nine pixels and then so this beautiful thing that they've come up with that's supposed to express joy and happiness and deep foreboding and stuff it, it is like five pixels like three green and like you know uh, <laughs> five blue and you're like uh, I, d- I don't know if you've captured that quite in, <laughs> on your eight bit system but it, it's it, i see what you've done there um but it is but it's really good you know things like you know how they how how the guy came up with sonic um you know and sonic might have been a rabbit um based on what they were thinking of or a panda um and it's just it, it's really good and it, it I, it's got an amazing soundtrack as well. Um, I don't know. Everything seems, to, everything seems to be really 80s focused for me at the moment. I don't know why, because, you know, when, like, we, were in, we were kids in the 80s, but we were by no mm. means like, you know, part of the fashionable element to it because we were probably too young to, to, really, to really do that. But the other thing is, that I, have, you ever, have, you, what, have you watched Stranger Things? I've seen the first series, yeah. Right. Well, you've pretty much seen all three series then. Because the thing about Stranger Things is that it's exactly the same plot for every series. There's a monster. Um, uh, they've got to try and kill the monster. They kill the monster. And, that, and that's pretty much it. But what, what you realise is actually it is complete style over substance. And you'll watch this entire series thinking there's going to be some twist that's different. There's going to be some twist that's different. And, and, and there isn't. But what they're basically do is lost. They're basically, well, yeah, Sally. But they, they throw some stuff in there that makes you go, fucking hell, that is really good. Like that, I, I don't know what it is, but it makes you, it, it either takes you back or it makes you think like, oh, you've done that so well. And it's great. And it st- stays with you just at the moment where you're getting to that point in the series, you're going, I'm not going to fucking watch the next ser- series. And you forget about that. And then you watch the next series. Um, <laughs> do, you, do, you watch, do you watch a lot of like sci-fi or anything else? Not so much, although the, the last recommendation, which links into that, is not sci-fi, it's more superhero. Have you seen oh. The Boys? I was about to ask you this, because I didn't know it yet. Yes, I have seen The Boys, and I wanted to ask your opinion on it. I think it's incredible. I, just mind-blowingly uh, dark. Yeah, yeah. You're not a fan? Uh, no, no, no. First season, I absolutely loved and I was loving it right up until the last episode. Okay. And, and um, so just to explain, if you've not seen The Boys, it's on Amazon Prime. They have spent a shitload of money on this. And it's basically yeah. what happens. What happens if super t- superheroes were dickheads? What happens if they were just selfish? Hor- you know, there's, a, there's that scene, which I'm not going to ruin this for people. There's a particular scene, I think, in the first or second episode, which I think is one of the most jarring scenes that I've ever seen um, that's, that's horrific um um around a plane um and it comes back in this in this season i do think that um carl urban he's got he's also he's in this i can't remember what, what he's called in it I've, I've forgotten now because it was a it was a few weeks ago that i watched it but he's got the worst british accent it improves slightly um but he's basically trying to take down these these superheroes um who are who are conning the world into thinking that they are i um, thought he was australian no, no, he's supposed to be British. Oh, is he? He, he is Australian, but oh, he's right. supposed yeah. to be British. 
Okay. Okay. Huh. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a character in a TV show who's used the C word as much as <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, but it's really, it, it is really interesting. And it got to the last episode and I thought, is it me or is it actually just shit? I mean, I, I think it's great. I've, I've only seen, and, and for the people that haven't heard of this yet, the, the story is that these superheroes are created by a corporation and they do save people like superheroes, but actually their main priority is to this, the corporation. But also they are just a evil bunch of sods who, sure, they may save someone, but then they'll get away with a whole load of other stuff as well. Yeah, because it's, it's based on a comic book series um which is which is really dark um and yeah i just there, there was something just i was just thinking is it i don't know it's really difficult to discuss this without giving away spoilers <laughs> yeah but i'd, I'd say you, watch I it did, the first yeah. episode you'll understand if you like it or not because it's yeah, it, 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 pretty it's quite, quick it, it's pretty it it's pretty shocking in some respects um they've spent so much money on it yeah because and yeah, um, because what it does but this is probably the first show on Amazon that I've actually thought was really good. It is. It is a flagship show for them, definitely, because yeah. that is the the what they spent on it and just how different. I remember, like, I, yeah, I binge watched it the the first season when I saw it. I just couldn't stop watching it. Um, yeah. I was just like, whoa, this is this is totally different, totally different from from um, from Marvel. <laughs> um, well, so well, no, well, no, many of things. Oh. Right, there's one more thing. One more thing we need to talk about, and okay. this is something that you have t been telling me to uh, to watch for such a long time, and I and I haven't watched it, and we finally watched it when we we're away. Taskmaster. You, this is the first time you've watched it. First time I've watched it. Wow. Was it on Dave the whole time? It's just only it's only just come to Channel Four, isn't it? There have been nine series on Dave. Yeah. And if if you if you're an international listener, you can download Taskmaster on BitTorrent. Do it. They they've tried to look. Every person downloading it on BitTorrent. <laughs> Imagine people downloading Dave episodes. I mean, they, they have they did do an episode a series in the states, but they changed the format. They they reduced it by half. It's just not the same show. It's okay. nowhere near as good. It's it's, it's it's the simplicity of it. It's just the utter simplicity. That's what that's what put me off watching it in the first place. So I was thinking, oh, it's just going to be another one of these boring, uh, what's it called, games that I just uh, it doesn't interest me. It's going to be twee and parochial, and it's going to make me hate hate being British or something. Um, but it's just it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Like there's just the just the simplicity. Throw a potato into. Um, this hole without touching the red carpet and you just think how could that how could that <laughs> produce so many so many different responses to it and it's just it's utterly insane it's it's just so good yeah it, it's the best tv show on at the moment other than potentially john oliver on uh the week that was but if you haven't seen it do bad as just get on youtube see anything you can it's one of those shows where you'll see a clip and you'll find it quite funny, but actually, unlike any other panel show, because the comedians who are on it are on it for the whole 10 episodes, 
there's a huge dynamic between the taskmaster who's greg davies who's hilarious alex horn who's the the adjudicator and then the, the the comedians themselves and it builds it changes and as jody says they'll give a very simple task which could be make a video backwards backwards video and they then interpret it in any way they'd like and it's edited to perfection to yeah, to be it is it's all yeah it's it, i think if it, i think um yeah uh, Greg Davies is the thing that makes it in that because the way that they so I mean all all it is uh, just as uh, by way of explanation it's, uh, it couldn't be simpler basically um, the taskmaster gives um, four celebrities a series of like four tasks very very basic tasks to do and they've got to do them and they've got to do either in a time limit or you know when it's judged or something like that and they're not they're not particularly complicated or anything else like that it's just it's just, it's the and so it could, for example, it could be there's a massive piece of ice and they, they walk in and it says, make this piece of ice disappear as fast as you can. What are you going to do? There was just, and there was one I watched, I watched one with Catherine Ryan. Sorry. And, <laughs> still um, raw, still uh, raw. <laughs> and, you know, she had, she had like very, she was actually very good on it. Um, but, you know, they had this task where they had, um, what's it called those swiss balls three swiss balls mm. and you had to get these three swiss ball uh, this basically the task was the three swiss balls here there's a yoga mat at the top you need to put these three swiss balls on the yoga mat and so you had all these yeah the different ones they were trying to push it up or one would run up put the swiss ball down run back down take it up and by that time one of the swiss balls would roll <laughs> off and it would be done it was hilarious and um uh what's it called richard osman runs to the top of the hill grabs the yoga mat takes it down to where the Swiss balls are and puts them on it. And you're like, oh, fucking, of course. <laughs> he, just, he, read, he read it properly. He read, the, yeah. he read the thing properly. And he's just like, it's so obvious. It's just so obvious. It, and it's just stuff like that. It, it's, just, it, it's just the way it's done. It's, just, it's really, really, really simple and really effective and really, really funny. And other than all the swearing, it would be great to watch with your kids as well. Cause it, <laughs> yeah. it really yeah. teaches you about oh, lateral great, thinking. Great family entertainment if, you're, if your family swears like a trooper. Yeah, yeah. But they are actually doing a, a, a kids-friendly version edit of it. Um, really? Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if it's on E4 or if it's on Channel 4 online. Are, or... are the kids comedians as well? The... <laughs> mm, it would be good, actually, a children's did, one of that. Did you remember there was a there was a, a a kids comedy sketch show? Do you remember that? Little Angels, Little Devils. Was it called that? It had the the guy who was in um oh Rambo, son of Rambo, son of Rambo, son of Rambo yeah. and uh, and Bandersnatch. Can't remember what his name is. Thing is, kids kids are funny. But they're not intentionally funny. They're, <laughs> they're not funny. They can be funny by what they say, but it's because of the lack of understanding of what they're saying more than anything else. So, uh, Which can also be applied to us. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good list for people to watch. That is a good, good number list. of hours there. But if you introducing our new sponsor, Netflix and Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> but from someone who's going to watch a lot of TV, for someone who's been running a long time, 
That's a terrible segue. <laughs> but it'll do. It'll do. Take it away, Nick. They do badders. I've already introduced our next guest, but I forgot to press record. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, he's an endurance specialist. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully, even with that and the length of our normal interviews, it will still be nothing compared to his his typical endurance event. So welcome on the podcast, the wonderful... I forgot if it's your surname, Walter. I had it in front of me before. I'm embarrassing. <laughs> this uh, is the yeah, worst introduction. Walter Handloser. Handloser. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I mean, you're not cheering because of that terrible uh, performance on our side, but um, apologies, apologies. <laughs> oh, no, you can see the big dumb grin on my face right now. This is all very amusing. I am this, perfectly uh, fine. We'd, we'd, yeah. like to tell you, we'd like to tell you that this never happens. Um, but uh, well, it doesn't actually. This hasn't happened for, for for a long, long time. But we are generally this this professional most of the time. That's fine. <laughs> just just tell me it never happens, and I'll believe you and go on with life. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we we haven't we haven't spoken already. What do you mean? We haven't done an intro. Not at all. <laughs> You're like all my exes the first night. Oh no, no, this never normally happens to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> and, then, and, and then they completely blank out and forget anything ever happened. Is that? <laughs> True, true. Forever, really. no, not not. Um, so, so anyway, Walter, um, we well, we already know a bit about you ourselves, but um, let's let's pretend we didn't know about your your change of lifestyle. Um, yeah, I mean, tell us about this year and how it's been in contrast to last. Yeah, absolutely. So, we, um, just to really quickly run over the the reason you're talking to me. Um, so last year I ran. Uh, 50 100-mile races, uh, basically attempting one per weekend for pretty much the entire year with one, no, sorry, two weekends off. Um, I uh, I had two DNFs and 50 completions over the course of that time. Um, wow. I, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and all of the races that I finished were finished uh, in, this, in the correct time frame for the race, and... Uh, using the same course and rules as everyone else who ran the race. So yeah, that so that was the uh, that set the new record for the most hundred mile races in a year, uh, fifty races, um, which surpassed the previous record of forty one. Um, and yeah, to do that, I lived in a van for the year. Um, to be fair, I was living in the van before that. I was still a racing freak even before that time, but I lived in a van for the entire year. I traveled the United States and also did one race in England, uh, and I raced in 22 different states. Uh, so yeah, uh, so that was last year, and then uh, and then came COVID, right? Uh, as we're all living now, uh, the new normal is I, like everyone else, am locked down in one place in one house um, here in the. Uh, in the U- Eastern U.S. and yeah, uh, so it 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 would be possible to imagine a different change, a larger change. I suppose I would go from you know running to losing my legs or something. But other than the extreme you know physical modification, I don't think I could imagine a bigger change from last year to this year. And and do you think, do you think your body started COVID just to, <laughs> just to get you to stop? Uh, <laughs> right. We need to develop something bigger and better. Just, just get them to stop running somehow. 
<laughs> yeah, my, my white blood cells were in on it, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I, unbelievable. And, <laughs> do, do you, is, are you a full-time runner? Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, would that mean do I run 40 or more hours per week? Uh, well, I guess to you, is, is your salary from – were you having to do a job throughout that oh, time? Oh, yeah. I was doing a job that whole time. That whole time I was working as a data scientist for a tech company out of California. Um, and ironically, uh, when COVID hit, the company was hit very hard and I was laid off. So luckily they held off on laying me off until I was done with the record. But no, I was holding down a full-time job during that time. Well, so, okay, wow. so when you were laid off, this, this it gives you a sign of how obsessed you are. When you were laid off, did you think, oh God, no income, I'm laid off? Or did you think, yes, more time, more time to <laughs> run and travel? How could you not say more time to run and travel? But I mean, I've been very lucky. Uh, I live here with my girlfriend and, you know, she, she at least for now makes enough money for the both of us. Uh, and I can, I can still run during the day. Um, I'm actually starting my new job, uh, this next, actually almost exactly a week from now. So next Monday I will start my new oh, job. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, but in the meantime, it has not been financially stressful, which has been helpful. I've had time to you know sort of do what I what I'd like. Um, I've been working on a book about the last year, and that's coming along slower than I'd like it to, but it is still coming along. So yeah, it's been a it's been a relaxing time compared to how a lot of people have had to uh, experience these troubled times, and I'm very thankful for that. I, I recognize that in this in like so many other places in my life, I've been extremely lucky. So, so when, when did you when, when you were applying for this? Sorry, just before we go into talk about rain. When you were applying for other jobs, did you slip this record onto the CV? <laughs> Absolutely, make me stand out. Of course, I did. Oh my God, why would I not? Yeah. In fact, okay. Here's here's how integrated running is into my life. The picture that I use on my CV, up in the top left hand corner, is the picture that was taken of me at the finish line of the Tahoe 200 miler. So it, I I look very exhausted, but it's still the best picture of me that I think has ever been taken. So I use it on everything, including my CV. Um, at the little about me section that I slip in at the very bottom, that's you know free form and used for random facts. I say, of course, I'm the record holder in in this particular thing because it's this conversation starter. Every interview I've had, people have mentioned it, so it, it clearly gets attention. But I'd I'd say because I've I mean, I've not interviewed often since I've I've taken up running a bit more seriously, but even if I think it's definitely a conversation starter, but it's so far out of people's comfort zone and also probably what they'd fathom as being possible that I'd be worried that most interviewers would just wouldn't be able to process that you could somehow work a, a job while doing that. I, 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 have you, did, did you find that ever in the interviews where people were – pushing back and almost implying that you wouldn't be committed. Huh. I never even considered that aspect of it, but no, it, that never happened in that way. Um, that said, I've always been the kind of person that puts all the bad news up front in my resume and things like that. Uh, I, I seem to recall telling someone at one point that one of the, my prime things I try and work into every a resume or CV that I've made is that I don't follow orders very well and I probably won't do what you ask me to do because I want them to know up front 
um, you know, there's there's definite bad news about hiring me in a sense. Uh, and I think that part of that is recognizing your own your own weaknesses. And I think that people are appreciative of that kind of upfront uh, admission of your own failings. And so maybe maybe my hundred miler record is considered a failing amongst some people. And if so, hey, why not put that up front too? You know, I mean, they I think I think it's better. I think it's better doing that because I think if you put something like Ultra Runner, you're going to get someone who reads that CV goes, "Oh, Ultra Runner. Oh, yeah, I've run a couple of ultras. Yeah, yeah, I've done like 50k. What have you done?" And then you hit them with, "Oh, only 50 hundred milers in a year," and they're like, "Oh shit." I think, I think that's better. I think that's a worse situation to be in, to, to, to get someone to admit that they run a couple of ultras and then totally destroy and belittle them <laughs> on the next sentence. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. that The bait and switch right there. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure. I'm just thinking that maybe Trump wasn't lying about America still booming. If you can run 100, well, 50 miles, 100 miles in a year and then tell them that you're not going to listen to anything they say and you still get a job... There must be jobs left, right, and centre in America. I I hope so. Well, I don't know. There are, there, anyone who's willing to hire me, I think, has probably bigger problems than the fact that they hired an ultra runner. But you know, for now at least, they're uh, they're willing to go with me despite the the things I put on my resume. Um, I think it's probably despite more than because of. So you know, hey, I'll take it. There's there's so many there's so many things that are impressive about your record. The, the first like the, the thing that really stands out is the fact that these were races. This weren't just you going out and running mm. hundreds of miles. These were actual races. And so, it, just the fact that there's that volume of races, which I suppose mm. is why you had to travel around so much. Um, but you know, like the cost of entry and you know yeah. actually having to be in a position to do you know to, to even go through all the registration and just all of that that goes with it was. Was it was it difficult to to find that many races, or is that a relatively easy thing to do in the states? Well, so finding that many races wasn't necessarily as much of a problem. Um, that said, I say that on the far side of about eight solid months of logistical work. Um, I'm I'm a data person, so my my first instinct in when approaching any endeavor is to systematize and map the thing and then make a spreadsheet or a database out of it, right? That's just, it's my instinct. I like to do that first and foremost. So when I was starting this process, I began just by cataloging as many of the races as I possibly could, mapping them out on a map to see whether I could sort of geographically group them whether to, in order to minimize overall travel. Um, and in a sense, in that sense, since there are something like 150 or so actually i think it's now up to like 180 or so 100 or mile 100 mile or more races in the united states there's clearly enough volume um that said it, one of the things i did along the way was i mapped uh, what every individual weekend looks like over the course of the year and the funny thing that you'd begin to see is that some weekends would have like seven or eight races mm. on them and others would have zero and you'd think well, some of them are obvious, right? Christmas weekend might mm. be not a very popular one, but that wasn't one of the zeros. The zeros seem to be fairly random weekends throughout the year. Mother's Day, for example, had zero. Like, you, I couldn't quite figure out a pattern to why some there were just sort of naturally occurring gaps in these schedules, but um, 
getting around stuff like that was probably the most difficult part, and that was the reason why some weekends I had to double up. Like if I could, if I could find like a something like a, a running festival, like Born to Run in California, which is a four-day running festival. Well, that's great. That's two races I can do. Sign up for the hundred starting on Wednesday. Sign up for the next hundred starting on Saturday, um, and do them both. Right. Um, and so I did that twice, I think, over the course of the – I think it was twice. Yeah, twice over the course of the year. Or one of them I did like three days apart, you know, because there, there was one that was on the new year, which wasn't didn't fall on a weekend. And then there was one the immediate following weekend. So that was another double. Uh, and so how, yeah, many, I mean, how many distinct days in the year, if you were to race every 100 mile do you think there actually are? Um, if you were to race every one that you possibly could, mm. um, I'd say right now the upper limit would probably be about 55 or so, um, probably maybe 56. Um, I don't think you could quite make it to 60 without doing something really uh, like custom. But part of mm. it, so I, I set rules for myself in, in doing this and that I couldn't do any custom races that just existed for, for me and me alone. Like to me, that's kind of unaccountable, right? Mm. Um, when you look back at the original people who set the record, um, uh, you know, back in the day when they were doing like, the record was something like 13 in a year, they were doing 13 a year not because they couldn't do more. They probably could have done more. They were exceptional athletes, all of them, but there were only 13 out there that they could do. You know, many of them mm. were pushing the limit by running every single possible race that was open to them. Um, and then you know you had people when when the ra when the record started to get up towards 25, um, then you had people that were saying, well maybe this is you know where we're starting to see physical limits. And then Liz Bauer set it to 36, and they're like, okay, well that's just amazing. And then Ed set it to 41, and now we're actually starting to see where people are really starting to butt up against um, like genuinely failing because one week yeah exactly because mm -hmm. one week was harder was so hard that the next week caused enough problems to cause them to fail so um and is and this a record that's known it like broadly in the states you know the way there are some that so camille for example is going for the 48 hour record which is is, yeah. is certainly nowhere near as known 24 hour but is is this something that People were, you know, when you said you were doing it, that most American ultra runners would be like, "Oh, you're going for that record," or would they be surprised that there was one? It's it was a mixed bag because you have a it, and if you said it in the middle of a race, you'd be as likely as not to have people who either one um, didn't know that that was even a thing, mm. or who if they knew, they knew who held the current record. Like they know, they knew Ed Eddinghausen, who had the current record before I did. Like they knew of Ed, or they didn't know that that was a record at all. So the 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 gap, the knowledge gap, was pretty extreme in, in either direction. Um, still to this day, I don't know how widely known you could say it was, because part of the problem with it is these are all community maintained records, right? Mm -hmm. It hasn't been from the very beginning. The, the people who, who keep track of these things are people like, you know, Davy Crockett, who runs the Ultra Running History, um, you know, blog. He, he's, he keeps track of, like, who has a hundred hundreds, um, you know, who has the most hundreds. And, you know, we don't get groups like Guinness involved um, mm. on stuff like this because, 
Well, it's just it's a big it's, pain in the butt, and yeah. they're they're outside they're outside of the community. They don't really represent us in any way, and they're in it for the money, and we don't really care about that so much, right? So, it's a it's a it's a tough question to answer, if only because the answer is so across so you know so across the board. So, um, when how long ago did you decide that you're going to take it on then? Um, I. I think it was late 2017 when I started thinking about it, and I started planning it in 2018. The planning of it took most of 2018 because, of course, it takes a lot to uh, to register for all those, to plan to you know get stuff that may have uh, a year or more uh, registration lead time, and and then uh, by the end of 2018, I still felt like I had more planning to do. In fact. Even going into 2019, November was still up in the air. Um, didn't know what it was going to look like because it, a lot of the races in November were just not didn't have their stuff together and, and weren't you know easily registerable. So, and is it, it one of those? Um, can you almost get an all-you-can-eat buffet style? If you, if you get the record, everything's free, um, or were you having to pull, pull uh, pay full price for all of these races? Well, so that was also um, very much a mixed bag. Like I, the the folks at the Array 100 in Colorado, they gave me registration. Um, but then again, I had run that before, and I, you know, I'll be going back to help them next year when the when the event comes back again. Um, you know, I'm I'm close with those folks, so they were of course very willing. Um, other of them, you know, they're they're big enough where they don't really have to care all that much like you know uh, I was really happy that um, that uh, Era Viper who runs the Havelina 100 and across the years which I both began and ended the year with um, I was happy that they threw me a discount that's great they're they're big enough they're they're huge they don't have to send me anything but they were very supportive from the very beginning and um, and Jamil founder of the company just kept mentioning me in his in his like YouTube videos and I was little shocked and awestruck like and why should he care about this so yeah i mean there was there was definitely good positive response from the community and i'm very thankful for all of that i got and then there were other groups that were just like okay no just pay full price and i'm fine with that too i don't expect i, mean, I don't deserve anything um so i was fine to pay for races i wanted to run and i was happy when i got anything free that i got so and and what percentage of 100 miles in the states would you say do sell out which what percentage do you get a sense that you, do you need to be lucky to get a place for and and is there huge variation in the pricing of them? there's massive variation in the pricing um i mean so one of the things that i i tried to be really super open about and um and uh, kind of put out to the public was how much is this costing me and what's involved in all of this so like i um I had a spreadsheet that had all of the races on them. Um, as I completed them, I I cataloged, you know, what I had done, and and along the way in there, I cataloged things like what's the price, how much is it going to cost me to travel between these things. Um, so yeah, I mean, you saw just huge amounts, and that allowed me to do other fun math, like what is the average price, what is the price variation, and things like that. So you know, just just looking at my spreadsheet off the bat, you have everything from the four hundred dollar races like Western states, right? Uh, and then you have things that go down as low as like the $100, uh, what, what, what's my $100 race there? We got like Run for Kids was a 
was a um was a uh dollar mostly charity race and then i had like um yeah i mean it's just it's a huge variation that's a, that alone mm-hmm. is a is a four four times difference in the in the price there so can you feel that? Can you feel the difference, or is the difference normally related to, rather than the race experience, related to the location or the cause or, or, or something? What is, is there a is there is there a correlation between the quality of the race and the and the price? None. I mean, uh, that is to say, it is so small that the difference, um, that the overlap is greater than the difference. Like. Here, one example. One of my absolute favorites of the year was um, was uh, called Love It 100. It's the that's a acronym for the uh, Lake Wachita Vista Trail, which is a trail out in Arkansas, just outside of Little Rock. Um, it's a beautiful race. It's really well put together. The people who ran it were fantastic. You know, I just I, it became one of my favorite races of the year and like a surprise hit. Um, hundred ninety dollar race felt like a four hundred dollar race, you know, and its support and how cool the people were and everything. Um, uh, another race is uh, the race I'm about to run this weekend. You know, uh, no business. It's a great race. It's out in the middle of nowhere and on the Kentucky Tennessee border, just north of. For, for those who are more familiar with this, it's just north of where uh, the Barkley Marathons is held. Um, it's 250 bucks, which is on the more costly side, but it it you really do feel like none of that goes to waste. You feel like everything is is just set and it's in a beautiful environment, and you just I mean it really is. It's worth every every penny of it. And then other ones, I I don't I think they're just charging a little much. Like I I didn't think I didn't think um oh well, uh, not I don't want to badmouth anything but like. <laughs> The Vermont 100, I think, is actually an example of a race that uh, it just I don't feel like the money makes its way to the the, the experience that the runner mm. gets yeah. um, like the uh, it's a four hundred dollar race. And I think it's that because it's a classic. It's one of the it's mm. one of the um, right. the Grand Slam races, you know. It's uh, like I I don't uh, I don't feel like for that massive massive amount of money, uh, you you really get much out of it. It's a uh, the the aid stations are great, but the aid stations aren't twice as good as a two hundred dollar race. Yeah. You know, so I end up thinking like, oh, where's that where's that going? What's what's the cause of that? And you know. And how 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 small do they go? Like, what what are the smallest hundred mile races uh, in uh, terms of number of people running? Oh, I mean, there are really tiny ones. Uh, I I didn't want to make them too tiny because then I, it, again, the lack of accountability comes in. But if I was really willing mm-hmm. to go down all the way to the sort of bottom of the barrel, we have, um, uh, you know, size wise, not in quality wise. I don't want to don't want to indicate that this is a, a drop in quality. Yeah. But you know, the, there are races that you know have. 10, 12 people who show up. Um, and then there are races that have hundreds of people show up. You know, uh, you have races like, you know, Born to Run, which I mentioned before. It's a four-day running festival that feels like you, you threw a, a rave in the woods and people decided to run for a little while. Uh, and then you have things like, you know, um, 
the, the almost the exact opposite would be Uray, right? Your, the Uray 100, which I also mentioned previously, it mm. feels like someone set up a tent in a in a park and then said, okay, now go run a bunch of loops out in the mountains and just come back here when you need food, right? It's as minimal as it gets, and it, you know only about 50% of its people finish, but it's because it's really pushing you as hard as it can. Um, and it's just for the hardest of hardcore, and there's not really a lot of accountability or a lot of um, a lot of like fanfare around it. And mm. yeah, that's really cool for people who like that. But if you're going to go for a record, it's kind of a, it's kind of important that you keep things as as like at least uh, above the middle of the road when it comes mm. to quality and visibility to the public. I didn't want something to, someone to say like, oh well. You did this race, but there's no accountability for it. Your mm. results aren't up online. It's not on Ultra Sign Up, or it's not on you know it's not on any of the major sites. It didn't make it to Athlinks. I didn't want that to be to be a sticking point. So, but, so um, what was what was your like looking at race experiences then? What was what was your worst race when you were doing that? Like what was the one in terms of like your the, the experience that you, that you had? Did you have like ones that sort of left you thinking wow that that's really pushed my uh to the limit of 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 being able to carry on with this so so as in like me personally like that is to say not because of anything both actually actually, you personally and also whether there was a race experience yeah so so here's one example from fairly early in the year um so there's a race called the franklins uh the franklins happens in the franklin franklin mountains of um that are just basically like where where Texas uh, trails off into New Mexico. There's this triple point where you have Mexico on one side, New Mexico on another, and then Texas on the other, and the town of El Paso is there. And to the west of El Paso is this mountain range. And this mountain range is a desert mountain range in almost every sense of the term. It's It's just every trail out there looks like a truck pulled up with a a entire bed full of volleyball sized boulders and just dropped them on the trail. And that's the trail. You're, you're just stepping over boulders the entire time. Um, it's a, uh, it's a misery. And I, <laughs> I planned, I stupidly planned to do a double there. My plan was to do a 120 miler or a 200 K um, followed by a hundred miler. So, uh, and I got done with that 200k so beat up that I I couldn't even stand and and I had to go okay scratch this second it was I was I've never felt quite so sick and beat up as I did after Franklin's it's a race whose exposure and trail conditions and climb to just take it out of you loop after loop after loop and you got to do four loops of this just m- miserable miserable surface and you're exposed the whole time you know, it's the desert there's not it's not like there's shade there's not not a tree you don't you don't see trees the whole time um so that was one of them uh, uh i that was my first indication that that the idea of doubles was not just a given right it's not just something you're like oh i can obviously i can do a start another one right after i finish the first no they can beat you up um that had come a few weeks after the spine, which despite the difficult, the intense difficulty of the spine, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the spine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the the spine is difficult, 
that's another statement. But um, it's such an amazing experience that I almost immediately after I was done wanted to go back and run it again. And in fact, I'm signed up for this coming year. Uh, hopefully they'll let me into the country, but if not, it's fine. I'll push it back one year. I, I just want to be back there and run that course again. So that was that was uh, that was the the polar opposite, where difficulty alone cannot determine your your you know your feelings on the outcome of this race. The spine is one of my favorite experiences I've ever had, and yet uh, you know it is it's also one of the most difficult experiences I've ever had. Um, I don't think on I the other hand, you've spoken to anyone who's run the spine, who's, who's had the thought, oh, I love that so much, I want to run it again. Why not? It's amazing. Oh, my God, it was beautiful. Uh, it's, it's just such a wonderful experience. <laughs> what, what I like but, about this section of the conversation is that you've totally normalized, uh, normalized a back-to-back 100 milers, and you're just talking about it as though, oh, it's just 100, just back-to-back 100 milers, you know, we can't take that for granted. Fucking no, we can't take that. <laughs> yeah, newsflash. <laughs> um, Sorry, I don't. Sorry, carry on. I don't know. Everyone, everyone um, acclimatizes to their normal, right? It's it's yeah. not like uh, it's not like that. By the end of the year, this wasn't just another weekend for me, right? So, but how how did you? So, for example, before your attempts, how many hundred miles had you done, and then? What was uh, your fastest speed previously, and and how did you then pace your very first hundred mile of this attempt? Um, that's a that's a series of good questions. So going into this, I this is sort of ironic, but going into this, I wasn't in prime shape. Um, not to say I was in bad shape, but I just wasn't in prime racing I don't shape think prime at the time shape, that I. I think. If we talk about prime, shape, I think we do something very different from when you say prime. We're talking about when we don't get out of breath when we get to the top of a staircase. <laughs> We've just lifted some boxes. We're not sweating too much. Yeah, no, no, not not there. I mean, so previous to that, I had run an eighteen twenty four as my fastest road hundred, um, and that was a so that was paved surface, uh, one mile loops, very easy course and nearly ideal weather. About you know. It was it was great. I mean, that was a that was a great experience. So that I had run that in January of 2018, um, and then uh, so that was one of the 15 I had run previously. So 18 hours, 24 minutes. Um, oh, so sister, I thought you'd have more than that going into it. Oh no, no, 15. That was it. And, um, and what? How? How close was the? The closest proximity of two races like that you'd done previously? Oh, uh, good question. And thank goodness I have a spreadsheet for that. Um, <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> uh, I, I can answer that, but uh, I, I will have to look that up. Um, is there another question I can answer while I'm looking that up? Uh, but no, when... I, just, I was going to say, to David, to what you were saying, when you said 15, David thinks, oh, that that's, doesn't sound like enough. I think that sounds loads. I think that sounds loads. I think it is loads, but I think to go to 50 in a uh, year... I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that makes much of a difference. Uh-huh. What, what, you wouldn't build up to doing 30 in a year to then do 50 in a year, would you? No, but I guess I, I can't really compare it to marathons, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into back to back to back to back to back to back to back marathons unless I guess you can't really do more that much more than fifteen hundred miles. You with, can compare it. To yeah, I yeah, yeah. I guess there's a limit, really, a natural limit of three to four a year, unless you're a psychopath like Walter. Though, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so one of so one of my main so here we go. I, I remember one of my main training cycles that I did in 2018 
was to do an 11 week, 11 race progression. Mm. There was, um, was a 50k, a 50k, a 50 miler, another 50k, a 50 miler, 400 k's in a row, a hundred miler, and then back to another hundred k. So, uh, okay. And, and how did you find that? Um, they were all races I wanted to do anyway. So a bunch of them were just like little fun local races, like, uh, in, in this tiny town that I, I lived in at the time in California, we had two local ultras. So I did both of those. Those slotted right in there quite nicely. Um, and then the 400 Ks in a row is actually something called the, um, the Grand Slam of Nor- Northern California Ultra, uh, 100 Ks rather, which is just four weeks, 400 Ks all in a row. Uh, so that was pre-made. That existed before me. Um, I just had to I just had to sign up for all of them and make it into all of them, which two of them were were um, uh, on lottery, so that was a good thing I got in. And then the next one after that was actually part of an overall year-long training schedule I had, which was what I, I was calling it the the elevation ladder. It was uh, a bunch of races that had increasing vertical, starting with mm. Orcas Island, which had 25k feet of vertical. Um, and then going to Cruel Jewel, which had 33k feet of vertical, and then going after that to Uray, which had 42k feet of vertical. Ooh. So, um, so yeah, but just moving up in in vertical amounts over the course of the year to sort of prep myself ultimately for Uray and for um, High Lonesome, another another Colorado race that I was doing. Uh, speaking of which, at later that same year, I did um, Uray. So 42 K feet of vertical, high lonesome, which I believe had 24 K feet of vertical, and then Bigfoot 200, and that was three weeks, three races. Uh, Whoa! Is that is the Bigfoot Candice's one? Uh, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What is what 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 percentage of the um of the the hundred miles you did in the year were on road versus trail? Mm. Um, well, I'll definitely prefer trail whenever I can because, man, do road, does road stuff beat you up. But um, the uh, in the actual year 2019, um, I'd have to count it out to get a good idea. But, I mean, I had a fair number of ones that were on some form of paved surface. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, like, a jackpot, which was on concrete. It was oh. terrible. Um, oh, you know, I had, oh, what? What? Where what, was that? On concrete? Yeah, it was, that yeah. just loops. Crazy. It was, yeah, it was a, a loop, a loop around a like a drainage ditch. Basically, it was a loop around a drainage <laughs> ditch. To be fair, uh, Las Vegas has a way of dressing up their drainage ditches so they look like ponds, but it's a drainage ditch. Um, so yeah, a loop around a drainage ditch in Las Vegas. That's jackpot. Um, it's, and is that, that it's called the jackpot? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd think you were running on the strip, but in actuality, you're running, uh, you're running out in the middle of nowhere in the, in a little bedroom community overlooking the lights of Las Vegas below. But what um, I like it, about that is you're they're taking to Las Vegas, and I get that for a marathon. You go to Vegas, you run a marathon, you go a bit mental. Whereas for a hundred miler, I mean, you're not really going to be going out heavy. Either right. side, are you? You're not going to be enjoying Vegas, especially if you can't see it. So the whole point yeah. of going to Vegas almost doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, 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 that was probably my least pleasant experience. And not only because 
uh, it was what it was. But it was my first DNF of the year as well. Um, it, I actually got the flu during the previous week, uh, and I basically tried to run jackpot with a, a pretty severe fever and ended up not even being able to regulate my body temperature and getting chills. And uh, at one point, I, I, I had so little energy left, I just crawled into my van and went to sleep for the rest of the race. So that was my first DNF of the year. That was not a, not a very good moment. How soon um, into the year was that? That was, and that's the worst part, is that it was in early February. Like, that's a, not a great way to, you know, not a great yeah. way to begin your year with your momentum. DNF. Yeah. Um, so, I hope, I hope the chapter of your book is taking a gamble in Vegas or something like that. that didn't pay <laughs> off. Or, yeah, I could see, I, I could see there's a, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of headlines. Gambling fever. Right. Gambling, yeah. gambling with my health in Vegas. Yeah, just so long as I don't, you know, so that living your life with the with a name that looks like it's pronounced hand loser, um, you get a lot of Vegas jokes. <laughs> oh, you should never go to Vegas, man. You lose all your hands. Like, okay, come on, guys, come up with something new. Um, but yeah, but now you got I, something new about Vegas. Right Steven. there, we go. You should I'll, be happy about the DNA. Right. It, it gave me it gave me a new talking point. Um, let's see. So some other ones that were on that were on road were things like. Um, uh, you know, Sino Canal had a lot of road section as well. That's a uh, the run along a um, a towpath next to um, the uh, um, yeah, next to the Sino Canal. Uh, no other way to put it. Um, and then um, then there was also let's see, uh, and just I mean, corridor. Just going back yeah. to the start, how how would you pace? Each weekend, then, compared to, say, you were racing a hundred miler, were you? Yeah. Were, because I, I imagine, especially because you're you're travelling and you've got a full time job, you can't just take as long as you want. You can't go for the cutoff because actually you've got to be realistic about the rest of your life and having yep, to fit absolutely. in your logistics. Yeah. Um, so I was always running them as fast as I felt comfortable to not injure myself. Uh, so. Early on in the year, I met one of the other people who was doing this, who's also going for the record, right? I, I found out only once I was into the year that there were other people trying for the same record <laughs> cool. in the same year. Three of us, actually. Um, How did you find out? Uh, by running with them, by, by going no. out there. And, and at first, people would mistake me for one of the other guys who had been much more vocal about his attempt. And he'd be, oh, are you that? Are you that guy? Uh, that that Michael guy? Uh, are you? Oh, are you that, that guy Billy? No, I'm not. I'm not Billy or no, Michael. Who are these? Who are these people? Um, and when you first found out, who had more in the bag for the year? Um, it was difficult to say because, as it turns out, uh, different people had very different plans towards this. Uh, like Michael, for example, um, he is doing something so different it can't even be compared now like it's just it's a different thing like he goes to a race and he'll run it and if he dnfs cool whatever he'll just you know wait a little bit and then finish out the mileage sometime like either in the rest of the weekend or in the er you know early into the next week so, so he, he just sits, going... he just sits down wherever he's dnfed <laughs> <laughs> he just waits right. until he feels better and he's like two days later still racing man still got this <laughs> Yeah, he's an he's 
I, I, I love Michael. Like, I came to appreciate him a lot over the course of the year as we ran more and more <laughs> races together. But he, the way he does things is utterly perplexing to me. Um, you know, he's uh, <laughs> not just to you. That's the like, <laughs> yeah. Like I lost him in the middle of the night, like in the middle of the night on a course. Need to be laying down like on Facebook on his phone. And I'm like, Michael, what's what's going on, man? Are you are you gonna make the cutoff? And yeah, it was. Sounds like Michael in, needs some more spreadsheets, if you ask me. <laughs> right. No, actually, he's a bigger data guy than I am, oddly enough. But he just, it just, this does not, it does not affect his running life. In his running life, he is a man out there to have some fun and run some miles. So that said, he's now in his uh, 97th straight weekend of doing this. Ooh. So, wow. So that said, uh, no, no, uh, no minor feat. One yeah. way or another, like no so matter what you want to say, about himself well. Exactly, yeah, and and he got to end. He ended up kind of calling it the game of hundos, and his goal is to do a hundred week weekends of this. And so he is. He's now seeing the finish line. Um, he uh, he was out there last weekend, just like every weekend previous, doing some race. Uh, he ran the best of best of San Diego one hundred, my one of my hometown races. Now he's he's just doing everything and going everywhere, and more power to the guy. But yeah, he's he's in the home stretch now, um, after uh, two years of doing this thing. So wow. Um, so yeah, he he's someone definitely consider talking to to Michael. Super, super <laughs> engaging have, fellow. He, he must have headed into twenty twenty thinking, oh shit, like the <laughs> oh my, like, how right? exactly how's he managed that? So he he would actually do things like he would set up a webcam when when because he's a New Yorker and he's based in New York City, uh, not merely <laughs> New York State. So when they were on full Manhattan. lockdown, no no he couldn't even do that. When they were on full lockdown, he lives in a tiny little apartment. He set up a webcam in the corner of his apartment and proceeded to run something like twenty foot loops for a hundred miles. So Whoa. he he paced he paced out painstakingly paced out the the route in his. In his, basically in his, not he can't even say a living room because he doesn't have enough rooms in his apartment to make. Imagine it. how worn down his carpet is, right? Imagine how pissed oh, off his neighbors are. Or the, yeah, <laughs> or the, imagine he got that static electric shock at the end. Oh of my it. god! By the end, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, he'd be Thor shooting lightning bolts out of his fists and, so, and everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh man. So, so kind of going back to where you said you you ran it as as fast as you felt you could without injuring yourself. Do, do you feel then you've got that sense of um, feeling, that connection with your body to know actually what your body is capable of then? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and more so as the year went on. And as the year went on, you do something every weekend, and it takes most of your weekend, you know, 24 to 35 hours or so every weekend, you, you get good at it pretty fast, right? It's it's forcible extreme training. So you, you say 35 hours. So some of them were 35 hours. Oh, some of them were more than that. Uh, Uray was oh. 46. Um, here, let me, let me look through my times here. So I had one that was uh, the Franklins took 57 hours. Wow. Um, yeah, I uh, had one of them take 62 for both hundreds put together. Um, so I had, um, and, and had you, did you know those races were going to take that long? Had you actually scheduled that in with work and schedule and, and how does your van fit in with this? Are you, are you dr literally driving to each one? 
Um, yeah, uh, literally driving to well as many as I could. I mean, yeah. that is to say, there were some. So I mentioned earlier that I had I had planned out when I was planning this. I had kind of tried to zone things. So, mm. for example, um, in the fall in the U.S., it is really good to be in the southeast because the the yeah. weather in the southeast is so terrible through mm. the summer and through the winter that they just cram all of their races into the spring and into the fall. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so you can run every weekend in the spring and fall in the south. So if you if you just head down to the south, uh take, you know, camp down there. Turns out my company has an office in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. So I would go to Atlanta I would work out of their office in Atlanta. I'd park my van down the road in a in a residential neighborhood and just make sure I moved every night, so no one would bother me. Um, and then I go I to mean, work. How smelly was that van by the end? Because <laughs> <laughs> your trainers and kit smelled oh. quite nice, but yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I was I I wasn't to be honest. I wasn't spending much time in it. You know, mm. there, there was a the 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 real smell came from the fact that when I got done with a race, I had to put my dirty clothes into it. You know, that was was the real smell came from. It wasn't wasn't like some just place where I don't know. I mean, I spent roughly eight hours per day in there, and that was it. I'd get up in the morning, I'd leave immediately, I'd go into work. That's where the shower was. That's where, um, you know, that's where I could do all my morning stuff. Uh, I I'd stay at work until late late the night because I had a uh, I had joined a gym and there was a gym also downstairs in the building that I worked in so I'd be able to Please do all my workouts there. You were doing more, you do more workouts in the gym. Oh absolutely yeah you, you can't just you can't survive off 100 a a week. A week. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's 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 not actually that much working out. I mean so so what me. were the workout? What do they look like midweek? Um, I I ended up falling falling in love with Peloton, um, so I, I did a lot of cycling. Uh, I bought my own Peloton now, so I could do it at home. You know, it's it, when you're running that much, it's hard to justify running even more as a mm. practice. So I'd walk a lot during the week because I'd walk a couple miles to the gym and I'd walk back and I'd walk to work and I, I'd get a lot of time on my feet just through walking. But I didn't really want to run during the week, um, so I do a lot of spin. Um, I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of weight training. I had joined a gym that was across the, across the park from where I worked. So I'd walk over to the gym. They had weight training classes there. I do a lot of weights because I was breaking down a lot of muscle on the mm. weekend. And so might as well do my part to build back up, um, during the weekdays. So and, yeah, I mean. And I think I'd have really, st- I could, I could see myself living in a van for a while, but mm-hmm. I think I'd I really struck a van for the rest of the time. <laughs> fourths, but um, but I I think I'd really struggle um when I'm really tired or feeling really uncomfortable or or just feeling down with with not having like a, a place that felt like a creature comfort. Like, did you were you okay with living what is quite a limited um? I guess existence in 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 your surroundings. Absolutely. Uh, I talk to people who, and, and when I say, "Oh, I lived in a van for actually, I lived in a van for almost three years," because um, this was a racing thing before it was my full life in uh, in in uh, 2019. Uh, I talk to people and they say, "Oh man, that sounds amazing. I'd love to try that." And 
my response always is like, well, yeah, you should absolutely try it first because it's either going to be exactly the thing you always wanted, like exactly the thing you always wanted, or it's going to just wear on you so fast. Mm. And for me, it was exactly the thing I always wanted. My creature comfort needs are very minimal. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time at home anyway. I liked having things completely minimized forcibly. I couldn't own that many possessions. I didn't have a, a lawn to mow. I didn't have food to cook. Everything I, you know, everything I took in came out of either like a can pre-prepared or I would like order, you know, order food from a restaurant. I, every night when I was living in my hometown, I'd, I'd walk downtown and I would, you know, make a nice jaunt of it and I'd eat at a, a restaurant and I'd go home to my van and, or I'd go back to work and just spend some time on my computer at work or, you know, and that, I would basically use the use the van as a mobile bed with a little mm. bit of privacy, and that was it, and that was all I needed. Um, so, if you are the kind of person that can manage with that, it's a dream come true. It's exactly the life you've always been looking for, where uh, almost to an extreme degree, you can um, you can make your life efficient. Eating doesn't take very long. No, nothing nothing is done at a leisurely pace it's all just like okay what do i need to do today and then your free time just just spikes i mean i was single during that time too which also helps your free time just goes through the roof you could have you have time to do four or five hours of gym time a day which i like that's kind of my thing um you have time to do uh, as much running as you really wanted to which during the time when i was actually training for this was a really big deal cuz you got to spend a lot of time on your feet to train for something like this so, you know, it was it was me. It was how I wanted to live my life, and that was good. Um, and in that sense, I'm extremely lucky that that worked out so well for me because I think without something like that and without the immense amount of free time that that gives you, it would be very hard even to attempt something like that. One thing we haven't talked about is food. Like, what, what is, you know, what do, how do you eat to recover from these and mm. what is your and do, and do you have a because i imagine going through to so many different um so many different hundreds there must be a you know, huge variation in, in what you get at the aid stations you know plus what you, what you need to bring for yourself do you have a you know for, you think about you know race race nutrition do you do you have a sort of a set number of things that you that you you work that you know that works for you in the ue or yeah. or can, are you you know are you just keen to like basically you know work more intuitively in terms of what you eat um i have an iron stomach so um for me like what's well, whatever it's whatever just just throw food at me and i'll eat it um <laughs> I, so I mean you're like a bear you yeah exactly you know you, a bear goes into hibernation by eating like a metric ton of berries and you know uh whatever carcasses it can find by the side of the, you know, the forest. And it's just, it's, it's, I'm that way. I'm just, I'm out there foraging. I'm like a, it's like a hundred mile graze for me. And and so would you typically rely on the aid stations then more than having to take what you knew you could rely on? Um, if you mapped, if you mapped like the degree of preparedness that I had going into any race over the course of the year, um, it would look like a it would look like a crashing economy. You know, it would just like I at the beginning of the year I had big spreadsheets with color coded 
um, drop bags and uh, a, a calorie budget that I would bring into it. And then I remember at like certain at certain races by the end of the year, I would just show up in shirt and shorts and shoes with no drop bags and, <laughs> and no water and nothing. And I just like, okay, I'm I'm here to run this. You got aid stations every like what four or five miles, ten miles, whatever. Okay, cool, that's enough. It's gonna be like sixty degrees. I don't care. You know, that's how it was with like uh oh god, what's a good example of that? Like del well, delirium's not a good example because delirium was a twenty four hour loop race, but like, you know, I, just, I didn't have anything going into that. Didn't really have anything going into Ancient Oaks, another you know, larger loop race, but still a loop race. Um showed up with practically nothing for you know, Pinhoti. Uh, that's a point-to-point -point race through the the woods of Alabama, but you know, just it's it's cool enough. I was fine. Didn't... Um, and did you have a did you go through a routine at the end of each race to try and get yourself prepared? Um, at the end of each race? Yeah. Um, did you did you have kind of a, reco a recovery regime or? Oh no, no, not really. I mean, people. Uh, I I talk to people about about this because people like always want to ask, Oh, what did you do for recovery? Or what did you do for this? Or how did you train for this? And I always say like, I'm so not special in this regard. I don't have any magical mojo. I don't have any, I, I have no magic bullet. I have no secret formula. I'm the worst. I don't even stretch. I don't stretch. I don't roll. I don't get, I don't really get massages. I don't eat, eat any special things. I, you know, uh, my girlfriend just gave me the worst look about I don't get massages because she has done plenty of massaging over the course of the time. <laughs> she has been super amazingly supportive of this entire thing. I, wow, I actually you met... about turned so quickly. Then. Right. Yeah. No, no, I mean, because <laughs> here's the thing. I, so I went into this, the whole thing single, and I and I met this this wonderful woman um, part of the way into, let me see, what was it? My um, Part of the way into April, we met at mile 40 of a race. Um, and we've, and now I'm, I'm in her house, uh, getting wonderfully dirty looks from her as I say that I don't get massages, um, because, you know, now a year and a half later, uh, <laughs> she did just you, says I got plenty you, of foot massages. Did you, did you include your, um, uh, your record on, on your CV when you were wooing her as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was, you know what? She paced me through uh, quite a few races in the latter half, so she knew about it. She, you know. Yeah. And I've, I've got a. I mean, obviously, you don't have to answer this as, uh, as candidly as I probably would. But um, when I was training for the marathon de sable, I found that I, I struggled with energy levels to, to potentially um, satisfy my partner as, as much as they'd oh potentially wanted. Um, <laughs> so. Just, it, was oh. that a, was that a struggle? Hundred miles, you know, back to back, and then having extra energy. Well, you know what? We weren't even living together until after the the year ended. So, uh, then, so uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> use that as an excuse not to answer that question. Yeah, okay. Claire, to, to be fair, Claire said that you weren't satisfied regardless of whether you were doing the. That is gym. true. At least I had the excuse back there. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And um, and you mentioned about how you you'd, you'd had to do a lot of training in preparation. Like, what did that actually look like? Did you were you how many miles a week would you typically do in the the few months building up? Um, okay, so for me, training has never been about pure bulk mileage. Um, 
So one of the things that I, I will say that, that struck me about this uh, about this kind of thing was that as I as I got to know the two other people who were also trying for um, who were also trying for the hundred miler record, mm. the, the one thing that was completely unavoidable about about us was that we could be mistaken for one another if we cut our hair right. Um, you know, we're, we're both, we're all within a few inches of the same height. We're all within, say, 10 to 15 pounds of the same weight. Um, and we were, we're all people who had a, at least a considerable weight training background. Um, and we, none of us really, not, none of the three of us really look like ultra runners. We look, we look like stocky, more muscular people. Mm. So, um, I think that that might be something more common to those of us who really want to do not extreme endurance in the sense of speed, but extreme endurance in the sense of like, uh, continual pounding day after day, week after mm. week kind of thing is that, you know, a lot of us come from a training background that emphasizes, um, strength and impact, you know, uh, and, and was, was that, did you do train for that for ultra running or were you already training to, you just liked being in the gym and it happened that that suited your ultra running? Exactly. The, the, definitely the latter of those two. Yeah. I, I'm a bit of a gym head. Um, that's been one of the hardest parts about this quarantine is that I, I really want to go into a, you know, mm. a class of like-minded people at a CrossFit or at a, you know, uh, the kind of place that I'm at back home, which is a kettlebell gym. You know, I, I want to go into a situation like that and do 45 hard minutes with, you know, a heavy weight. You know, that that's my idea of a good way to spend my after work time, you know, and I miss that. I, I really miss that. I, my little kettlebell is sitting next to me right now and it, it, uh, it, it gets enough attention, but it's just not the same. So, so mm. for me, I'm a person who thrives in a gym environment. Um, and, I, you know, obviously, at least one of the other people who is doing it, Billy Richards, does too. He's actually a trainer for a living. So, um, and he outweighs me by, you know, 30 pounds of pure muscle. So <laughs> he's, uh, you know, we're we're all just a a little different in our than than a st- than a typical ultra runner in that sense. Mm. And I think that for all of us, it was just that our natural sense of what we like to do dovetailed with. Um, our ability to do a lot of ultra running. So, and I guess when you get, go ahead, Jenny. No, you get. Were you just in, just getting at it? Were you were you always very athletic? Were you always like enjoyed time in the gym and running? You know, do, do you have like a, a background like when you were younger of of, of being really an athletic and, and wanting to do this, and this is a continuation of it, or have um, you have you found a different way to it? I, I wish I had that background. I mean. So uh, when I was a kid, I, I played, you know, all the organized sports that one does as a as a kid. Uh, I, pl- I played um, football. I played American football. Um, I played baseball, you know, that kind of stuff. Through high school, I played American football, which emphasizes being large more than anything else. And yeah. because of that, actually, in, in high school, I weighed uh, 250 to 275 at my at my highest. So I was a little brick, basically. Yeah. Um, for reference, I'm only five foot six, uh, and nowadays I weigh 175 pounds. Um, 
you know, so I've lost a lot of weight from my heaviest. I, I've lost about 100 pounds um, from my heaviest. So, but a lot of that came, a lot of the weight came during a time kind of right after high school and into college when I really wasn't working out at all. I got pretty fluffy there, as as the phrase goes. Um, I, I was not in good shape. Um, I always loved running, but I was not a serious runner by any stretch. Um, so, no, I don't really have anything but the most typical American athletic background. I think a lot of people never make it further than, than that. I think a lot of people in, in the U.S. have their typical sports when they're a kid, and because of that, they don't tend to learn this kind of self-care that comes outside of a of a uh, team environment. Yeah. And so they, they end up dropping a lot of their, their self-care and health practices uh, mm. with a, a lack of accountability and a lack of systematization because they just never learned that. And I was there too. Um, I was one of the many obese Americans. Um, and uh, it was only once I was just about to turn 30 that I decided to change things around and I lost all the weight, started working out as heavily as I did. And, I mean, it was a complete life change uh, such that I'm not entirely sure what caused it. Um, people people ask me, and I have a story that I tell. I say, oh, I, I knew a, I was running out of time to get my life the state that I wanted to be in. I, I wanted to be the person I thought I could be, not the person I was. I could tell all those stories, but in the end, that doesn't help explain why I have stuck with this now and maintained yeah. this new weight and this new normal for you know now eight eight actually now ten years, um, whereas other people fall off that same wagon, and I don't think I have a good story to tell about that. I don't know how to answer that question in a way that really reflects what makes my story different from others. So if you so if you if there was really no main reason between doing it, and suddenly you just found the motivation to do it and to continue, does it does it ever worry you that just as quickly? you could lose it if, if, if there, if there mm. seemed to be no trigger for it in the first place? Um, well, I, I, I mean, it doesn't worry me if only because it never, um, I mean, uh, what could I do about it if it wasn't a, a, if it wasn't triggered in the first place? Like, if, if it really was as mysterious and it was as, um, you know, out of my control in a sense, uh, then I, I get about as much for worrying about it as I do for just enjoying it while it's here and keeping up doing the things that keep me doing it now. Like right now, the things that keep me doing what I do is I make a habit of it and I enjoy it. And I, you know, I, I make I make sure that even if uh, on the days that I don't enjoy it, I try and at least make it happen. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, cause motivation, I, I've actually been quoted on this, which is a weird thing. I've been quoted by people I respect. Motivation is transient, right? You, Motivation comes and goes. You you can't control motivation. It's just going to mm. be there or it's not. So don't rely on it. It's it's not a reliable source of getting you to do stuff. Motivation is transient. If you rely on it, it'll fail you when you need it most. So just instead of doing that, instead of you know relying on that motivation, just make it something you just do. Um, and that's how it has to be. It's just something you do. And that's what that's what my fitness is these days. It's just something I do. Um, it's not, and that's not, that makes it sound very unglamorous and like I don't enjoy it. Quite to, quite to the contrary, I enjoy it a lot, but that's not what causes me to keep going out there on a day to day basis. Now, um, over the year, like, what did you change physically and, um, like, what kind of surprised you about the challenge? Um, okay, so what surprised me was that the net effect was a little bit negative. 
Um, I expected it to be a positive change, but quite honestly, you just can't train when you're running a hundred miler every week. Hmm. Um, so you, you lose, you lose muscle, you get a little weaker. It's just, just going to be a natural outcome of putting that many miles, uh, in that form on your body. So you, you lose, you lose muscle, you get weaker. Um, because you can never really train near your VO2 max, your VO2 max drops. Um, you're going to lose a lot of speed. Um, you're gonna have to build that back up. Um, it's not, it's not a way to get yourself in in great shape. Uh, doing something like this, it it is taking out of the bank rather than putting into it. So that was and, the thing that kind of surprised me. So were you, did that mean that because you'd think there'd be a natural curve where your body would get used to 100 milers and get better at them? Did yes. you? Was that throughout the year, or did it then? Did you reach a peak where it, you suddenly struggled because you didn't have that muscle or that VAT yeah, max? Absolutely, yes. So um, the peak was right around April to May. Oh, so it's quite early, really. <laughs> Pretty early. Oh. Yep, and it was all downhill from there. And were you, look, say, when you were in um, July, was that a genuine concern of how? you'd be at the end of the year? Um, no, because it had kind of reached an equilibrium point by that point. I wasn't mm. getting slower per se. Um, and for all of my talk, you know, I still set two PRs after that, um, but they were both at the 200-mile distance. So, you know, I was getting better at 200 milers by running these incessant 100 milers, but I was definitely not getting any better at, uh, at 100 milers. I was, I was unquestionably getting worse. And, and why did you do the 200 milers? Is that because they were the only thing available at the week that weekend, or did you just want variety? Do you really want to know the honest answer to that? <laughs> was it to impress your girlfriend? <laughs> Had a really good goodie no, bag? What was the really, you, you, the, that one right there? You, you nearly nailed it. So one of my one of my 200s was because the 100 miler belt buckle sucked, and the 200 miler belt buckle was awesome, and I wanted the 200 miler belt buckle. <laughs> what was the difference yes. in it? Um. So I could I could send you this picture, but I'll just describe it. So so picture that the hundred miler buckle looks like you you went to the cheapest company you could and you had them stamp a logo on a piece of metal, and then you yeah. put a, some belt buckle attachments on the back. Meanwhile, the two hundred miler buckle is made by a silversmith in Texas. It's a gigantic bright silver rodeo buckle with the name of the uh, with the name of the uh, which, which one is it? Of the race, it's the Lhotse uh, 200, L-H-O-T-S-E, out of uh, Oklahoma. And so, if you look up that buckle, I, I guarantee you, if you look up the Lhotse 200 buckle, you're going to see this big, beautiful uh, rodeo buckle that looks like it's deep out of the heart of Texas because it is. Um, and then, if you look at the 100 buckle, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, I sure, I guess, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't have wanted. I, I wouldn't oh, yeah. have wanted the hundred oh, miler nice. buckle, yeah, but I, I definitely nice. wanted that two hundred miler buckle. Yes, so that was and one. Are you, were you pleased after? Like, was that the right decision? Oh no, but yes, but no, because <laughs> yes. I bloody lost it the next day, didn't I? <laughs> right. It was so. The I mean, I, I couldn't even walk to my car after I was done with that, and I, I made it uh, halfway there and then collapsed on a bench. And the race director got this fantastic picture of me, like, collapsed on a bench with, like, a crappy little, like, comforter 
wrapped around my head, so I, I wasn't getting attacked by mosquitoes because it was around a lake. Um, it was it was it was misery. It was it was misery of a type that I I rarely experienced. Um, an exposed one mile loop in the heat of uh, Oklahoma, um, just with amazing amounts of humidity. Uh, and and did you, they didn't did you change switch the directions. They didn't switch oh. directions, so we ran in the same counterclockwise loop the entire oh. 65 hours. How many miles? Um, did you say? 200. 200 miles, 65 hours, 25 minutes, 47 seconds. But imagine All I'd, left turns. I'd have the song to Oklahoma in my head for the whole time. <laughs> I'd just be changing the lyrics. Oh, Oklahoma, uh, where the mosquitoes. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was. So at one point, at one point, I was running in the in the middle of like the third night, and I remember here was the thought that went through my head, and I wish I could, I wish I could like bring myself to this this moment. So I was running, and remember, this is a one mile loop. And here's my, here's my thought as I was running. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get to the next part. I hear the course is really interesting up ahead. <laughs> the course has not changed. We're at that point, 54 hours before me. And, and here I am, you know, uh, I was so gone that I thought I was in a point-to-point for a little while. And I in a way, that's, that's probably nicer than the reality. It was much the- nicer than the reality, absolutely. No question. Running through a, a park surrounded by... By tracked housing, um, I mean, yeah, they're pretty houses, I guess. But when you've seen the same five house house models over and over and over again, oh goodness! And you've peed behind the same barn like fifty times. <laughs> yeah, you. What can so, you do at that point? What have you done with all your buckles then? Because you haven't say, got much have you, space. Have you? You must have had to carry all those buckles around with you. So your your petrol bill by the end of the, end of the, end of the <laughs> right. Year, You've got the biggest belt. You to wrap it from head to toe. Your belt. Uh, so what I did is I took a single like really heavy duty belt and I just strung every belt buckle on it. So it, it kind of looked like a buckle snake. Um, and then I just put that in a in a what was one of my dry bags. I just dropped it in a dry bag and. And then, just for the most part, just set it in the back of the van and didn't didn't remember it. But what I would do is, I mean, there were absolutely buckles that I wanted to wear, like buckles that were just amazing and so mm-hmm. good that I that I I would wear them. Ironically, right now the buckle that I'm currently that I currently have on my my belt is is not even from that year. It's from one of the, my previous races that I did in a previous year, um, <laughs> which represents a performance that I'm not even sure I couldn't ever repeat again. But I did it. I'm proud of it, so I wear that one. Um, but yeah, right now they're they're in a that same dry bag somewhere. Um, Just imagine yeah. if oh, someone okay. steals your van. Terms. Someone steals the van. It's gonna oh, be the God. weirdest thing for a robber to go through, and he'll be quite easy to catch as well. Right? Suddenly on How eBay. Do you fence that. Yeah. <laughs> it's two hundred bucks, fifty buckles suddenly on right? for tenner. No, it'd be it'd be strange. Yeah, I can't imagine what kind of life that person would have for the next five days of sorting my weird stuff out. <laughs> they'd be use, they'd go line dancing, that's what they do. They'd, and, they'd, yeah, they'd oh, I hope so. They'd be like, oh, huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, turn my life around. So, no. so, do you think someone can take this record then? Like, do you, given that you think it's 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 God, almost at so. the limit? No, I hope so. I, I, I hope to see someone blow this out of the water. I mean, records are, are there to I, I saw from the very beginning, I see it as this is just 
showing another thing that's possible and hoping that someone looks at that and goes, oh, I got that and goes further with it, right? That's that's the only hope you really have in something like this. You just want someone to do better. So yeah, I hope, I'd love to see the person who had it before me retake it. That'd be really cool. I love I love Ed. He's a great guy. He was super supportive of my efforts to beat his record. Um, I, I know he could take it back. He's a better runner than I am. So, you know, or I... Um, I, I want to see someone new do it, right? I want to see someone show up out of the middle of nowhere and and make an attempt at 55. That'd be really cool, you know? And, maybe, and it, maybe hit 52. And, and if someone is thinking about doing it, I know you mentioned you've you've tracked all the the the, the entries. Are you happy to say how much it has cost you in fees? Twelve thousand three hundred and thirty-nine dollars. Oh, four. That's just in registration fees alone. Wow. Yes, petrol is probably a third of that on top as well, isn't it? I tried to do a rough calculation as to how much uh, the, ga- the the petrol, as you say, cost me. Um, and that was about 11,000-ish. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that just about doubled it. And then there was all the other stuff that happened. I mean, you, you know, you're you're certainly eating a lot more than a normal human when you're doing this. So there was mm. there were a lot of costs I just didn't even want to try and figure out because I didn't even know how I could how I could systematize a, a guess. But and, and yeah. how many pairs of trainers did you have last year? Oh, too many, too too many. I mean, because there were some races where like were one race and it was they were gone. Like that was it. Um, they Nike, Nike Vaporfly, is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. I was, I was doing a little, little, uh, you know, seven ounce strength. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, I went through, I, I went through a lot of shoes, but I, I was actually surprised in some cases how long some of my pairs of shoes lasted. Um, I, I would wear some of them for like five or six races, which is probably way too long mm. for some of those shoes to last. And then I'd go through a race like, um, you know, I'd go through a race like Devil Dog, where everything is just so gnarly that my shoes get destroyed in a single in a single race. Or like <laughs> I'll wear I'll wear a shoe into that race that I know it's just it's they're on their last legs, fit for them. Um, so it really it really was so much on the weather. Like you know, the spine, of course, that that consumed a brand new pair of shoes in its entirety. I, I left them at the finish line. I did not want to smell them ever again. Um, <laughs> so you know. And that was a my favorite pair of innovates that 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 race just consumed entirely. Uh, and then other ones like Cool Moon. Cool Moon is a race in California. It has some rough trail, but it's all very very dry. So you know the the shoes I wore for that came out dusty, but largely unscathed. I don't I don't drag my feet a lot on trail, so it's uh it's not like I'm wearing through soles really fast. Uh, and and now, now you've come to the end of the year. Um, I mean, where does this leave you? Has it, has it changed your relationship with the hundred miler? And where do you see yourself? What do you see yourself reaching for? And, and does it change your satisfaction from doing events? Not at all. I, I still absolutely love it. I mean, um, I, I seem to have a history in life of people saying, "Oh, careful! Don't do too much of whatever it is. You'll burn out on it." And then I do too much of it, and I don't burn out anyway. Um, so maybe I have a unique personality in that regard, but this just left me wanting to do more. Um, one of the first things I started to think about 
Actually, that's not even a correct way to put it. Before I was even finished with this, I started to think about what it would be re what it would be required to try for the most 200 milers in a year, because I really fell in love with the 200 mile distance. Um, so I don't even wait for it to be done before I'm already planning my next thing. And uh, 2021 was going to be my attempt at doing the most 200 milers a year, but you know, it's it's hard to even talk about how uh, plans. Mm -hmm are right now without considering how COVID has changed everything, the running world um, more than some others, right? I mean, um, you know, we're, we're looking at this point uh, like the U, like folks in the U.S. aren't going to be able to travel to other places for quite some time. Mm. Um, and if we do, it's going to be only with extreme quarantine. And that in and of itself uh, removes a lot of the ability to do, to do races, right? Um, it, and that's, even assuming that race happens, right? Um, we're, we're looking like the spine is going to happen next year, but I might not be able to be there, right? Um, we're looking like uh, the, the race that I was going to start the year with just canceled a few days ago. Um, and and say, say everything comes back to normal, how many races do you think you realistically could do 200 plus in a year? And what's the, what 25. Was the record? The, the record previously was uh, 10. I already it's 25 and and why what makes you think why not 30 why not 20 um why not 30 why not 20 well um part of it is the very natural breakdown of roughly 50 weeks a year roughly one every two weeks mm. aim for 25 right it's an it's a pretty natural bit of math to to run on that so that, that's part of it um the other part of it is that so I mentioned previously that there are about 180-ish, 100-mile uh, races in the U.S. right now. Mm. Well, that's cool and all, but there are only about 90, 200-milers in the world. So if you can imagine that there are a lot of gaps in the schedule when there are 180 races in the U.S., imagine how many more gaps there are in the schedule when you're talking about only, in this case, 50 races in the U.S. and only 90 in the world, right? And, and um, finances then become a factor as well if you're having to travel. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, when I'm counting 200s, I'm, I'm count, my, my goal is to count anything from two to 400 milers. Um, leaving out things that go longer than 400. So in the same sense that I was a, allowing myself a 200 to count as one 100, I would count a 400 as one 200 as well. Um, uh, but getting longer than that, it gets to be extreme. So like counting just races between two and 400 miles, uh, one, you're just dealing with a lot more cost, period. I mean, uh, your average... 200 miler is about three times the cost of your average 100 miler. So doing mm. half of the number still costs more than doing, um, than doing, uh, you know, a, a double the number of, of hundreds. But also the fact that, you know, there's so much more of an even split between the U.S. and the rest of the world at that distance, uh, means that if you really wanted to go as off and run as often as you could, you'd find yourself doing a lot of travel outside of United States, and for me at least, lots of travel outside the United States is still uh, still relatively difficult. So, um, so yeah, it's a um, it's a a much more of an adventure to attempt 200s than it is to attempt. Amazing. Well, um, I think that's quite a nice place to uh, to end it. Unless you got any specific cool. questions, JD. 
Any excuses? I, I just, I, I, the fact that we're talking about <laughs> the number of two hundreds in a year is fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, but even the, even even the, the fact there's even a record for that as well is, is mm. insane as well. well um, and I got to run with the guy who was actually setting it. He said it in 2018 as well. So when I ran one of my two hundreds during the year, he was there working on the 200 miler record. So I got to meet the guy. He's a cool guy. And he's going to try it again later to try and bump up the record. So when it comes time to run the 200s, I may be running with another another fellow competing against me. Oh, amazing. Well, yeah. um, do let us know how it goes because we'll still be here. So uh, we'd love to get you back to, to come and talk in if, the, if you come up with good news. But um, <laughs> if people want to follow your journey and to, to hear more about you in the future, what's the best way for them to, to follow you? Yeah, um, I, I called my effort the Half Hundred Hundreds, um, and that's what I called it on Facebook. So facebook.com slash Half Hundred Hundreds, or just look up Half Hundred Hundreds on Facebook. That would probably be the easiest way. Or just friend me on Facebook. Honestly, I, I'm not I'm not picky about, about that. If, if you're a runner and you send me a friend request and I look in your pictures and there's at least one picture of you with a bib on, I'm probably going to accept the friend request. I'm, I'm not. Most people are super private, so... Yeah. <laughs> You're going to struggle with our audience. Like one, one picture of them running. Wow. Hey, you know, it takes all types, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, let us know if you're coming over to the spine. We'll have to uh, meet up at some point. And if Absolutely. not, um, yeah, I, I wish you all the best in your next endeavor. And, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Our pleasure. Thanks, Walter. Oh, wow. It was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you get the sense that we could have spoken for <laughs> three, four more hours, really. Yeah. Um, and even just talking about the contrast between all the different 100 milers, it, there's probably so, such variety. Yeah, actually, when you're thinking about it, when we, whenever we chat um, to US runners, and we're talking about 100 miles, it, it continues to amaze me. Firstly, how many are, the range they are, the massive variation in them, and just how little we actually know about them in the UK. You know, all we hear about is Western states. Western states, we hear about, um, like, bad water. Like Len, Len, Lenvo 100, and yeah. yeah exactly, we hear, you know, all, you know, just like a handful of them. And actually, mm. you know, when you've got, like, California, like, Northern California on its own, has a but well, what was that one four four um hundred k races um over four weekends or something like 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 challenges like that were just absolutely fascinating like people the, the fact that there's even a 200 mile record is, is fucking insane I, mean, like, I, I guess that comes from because america really is the the home of ultra running in and they they popularized it first, and, and and that makes sense that people are all, the nature of ultra running is you're looking for a new challenge, and so they've just had longer to push the boundaries. And like if you think over here, we've had a few big races, a few there's a few long ones, and it, it only seems really the last few years that the spine's been popularized more. Yeah, and the I think lockdown will accelerate that with FKTs, but. A hundred miler is still a really rare thing over here. And the, the, um, other, the, other, the other thing that you know, 
with a lot of US races is that the that whole like tradition was grounded in road races for for a long, long time. And so mm. people then moving out onto onto trails. But all I think almost as like a community, um people were much more willing to do things like laps on the road or you know and or, or laps generally. Whereas we kind of, you know, I I don't know. I think there's a lot of trail runners who just wouldn't like the idea of doing laps in in any way. But I mean, some of those some of those hundred miles sound awful. That jackpot yeah. one sounds awful. And there'll be some people who go, ah, oh, it just sounds amazing <laughs> because yeah. they just want more challenge, more pain, more awfulness, um, more kudos, probably more well, than exactly, anything else. Exactly, more kudos with it as well. Or more yeah. stories, more stories than maybe necessarily just kudos. Yeah, but I, you know, the the idea that you can go to that you can go to any race where there's only you know of that that length where there's only like ten or twelve people running it yeah. is is you know I mean that's kind of unheard of here. And also, um, I assume it's a little bit heartbreaking for the race director, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It sounds like you know. It seems like I, I suppose it depends on the type of race it is. Um, because mm. you, know, you, you can always have a, a minimum number or whatever, but you know, for some people it probably doesn't matter. It's just about keeping a race going. Because if it's you know, if mm. it's got a long tradition, um, but I think yeah, that that the fact that you can even have running festivals over a weekend where there's a hundred miler and then there's a two hundred miler. I mean, that is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, you can finish a hundred miler going to do the two. I mean, like like we we don't have space here that's that's our issue isn't it we don't have space it's we we live in a you know, relatively urbanized um uh, well in the south we live in a relatively urbanized um part of the country mm. um but yeah but being able to run like you know to have the sign of space to do 100 miles and 200 miles and and for it to be you know relatively relatively safe and, and everything mm. that goes with it i just what i want to look this right so it's really difficult, I think, if you've if you've not run a hundred miler, for you to um uh, to get an impression of like the difference and what aid stations are like on hundred milers, um and I think what I would really like to see is like what what do aid stations in America look like on mm. hundred milers or two hundred milers? Like you know, if you go to a Centurion race, like the aid stations are incredible. I mean, they are just incredible. Um, I just wonder if, th- like in America, that it's just it, it's it takes it to a whole new level, or maybe not. But especially, you think about the first time you ever walked into American um, Walmart, and you looked at the rows upon rows of every product. Doesn't matter what it is, like crisps, sweets, chocolate, biscuits, and they'll have entire rows bigger than our shops. And so well, that's just, what you just if you go to an American hotel, like you walk down for breakfast and you're like, it's like a tsunami of food available yeah. to you, like everything. You're like, oh, are you going to have eggs? Are you going to have, you know, pancakes? You're going to like, Jesus fucking Christ, like there is so much food here for breakfast. It is insane. So but the, I would hope that that, would, that that's what makes me think, oh, maybe maybe US 100 miles is the is the future. Yeah, because if you think about how how unvaried when we grew up, or even now, the number of chocolate bars you have, and, and like the the variation of what we'd see as highly calorific foods available to you as a British shopper, 
are quite limited. And so actually the aid stations, there's a limit to what that variety could be. But I imagine state to state, they have a completely different expectation on what is it that you have. It's not jelly babies. It's not Mars bars. Like what? And so you probably get a really interesting, we should have asked all this, all this, well, it was, it was, it was a long interview, but it'd be really interesting to get a sense whether you can almost, if someone laid out the product, you can guess, an aid station, you can guess, Yo, wait, wait, wait. where can, am I in the country? Yeah, that's it. It's yeah. Guess the state, guess where I am in the country based on the aid station. That yeah. Would be good. Yeah. And that'd be quite a nice quiz. Cause it would, it would actually just reinforce all the, uh, all the stereotypes that, that Americans have of each other, of each state. Um, I hope it's like that. I hope it's just like, <laughs> like Twinkies and Oreos and, and, and all load of crap like that. That would, that would really like break my heart after saying all of that. But our, our American brethren, let us know. Email us letters at badboyrunning.com and tell us your stories about what are the weirdest things you've had at an aid station when uh, in, in, in America. Like what has surprised you when you've gone to a different state or even in your home state? that you just didn't think you'd see on an aid station table. Um, it is weird. It is only when you do like races like those or like uh, really long multi races that you end up taking photos of the food you are being. <laughs> it's just, it's very, it's a very odd thing to do. Um, you know, taking photos of, cause I remember we did that on the Transalpine, the aid stations on the Transalpine were insane. They, it was, like I said, I finished that race heavier. Um, but they were, they were incredible. Like, and you couldn't stop just to take a photo to show people. Like, this is the food they give us at one of the aid stations, and it was it was it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. If you've got pictures, we've got like US listeners. Pictures of aid stations in the US. I absolutely love to see you know what kind of stuff is served up. Yeah, send us an email or tag us in the Facebook group, um, and yeah, we'll we'll talk about them in future episodes. <laughs> I love how we've just focused on the food aspect. <laughs> <laughs> I love American sweets and candy, and I've got so much stuff. So, but um, I'm 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 aware of time on this episode now. So um, yeah, we can talk about my love for American candy next time, um, or peanut butter. M&M's get in but um if you like this episode we mentioned Candy she she runs the the, the three 200 mile races and she organizes those and she's also run a lot herself so um she's she had a really good episode we haven't really we speak to Camille her last our last episode of Camille Heron she was talking about her desire to break the overall 48 hour record yeah um, yeah We've also spoken to Corey Waltering as well, who again not uh, not unknown to be breaking records in uh, in ultra running. Yeah, and if you want to if you want to hear about the spine, then we spoke to Jasmine Paris about breaking winning the spine overall, and also about John Kelly. I don't know which episode with John we spoke to him about um, the spine. Probably episode two. <laughs> I think we've had three of them now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so. I mean, they're all good. You're never going to be annoyed with the other ones is, if it doesn't talk about the spine. Is John a data scientist as well? John is, yeah, he's, he, I think he's, he's definitely in that area. He's in that area, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know his, I'm confusing him with a colleague of his, I know he does more quantum physics, but 
he's I think he does more kind of physics modeling to do with data science or, or something like that. Let's just lump that into data scientists. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all work for Cambridge Athletes, um, <laughs> Analytics. That's all I know. That's all I know. Um, yeah. Well, they did. They did. <laughs> but um, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed that episode. If you have, please subscribe and leave us a lovely review on iTunes. The, uh, the funnier, the better. Anything you'd like to add, Jody? Yeah, if you want merch, we now have a full range of well-stocked merch in the store at store.badboyrunning.com. If you want to suggest any future guests, email david at badboyrunning.com or tag us in Facebook. And if you want to put questions to guests um, in the future, then get onto Instagram and we post in advance who's going to be coming on. So you can then ask your questions there and we ask them on the podcast. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. See you later. Bye 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 Fuck you, buddy.